Hello everybody and welcome to the final episode of the current series of Taking Care of Business. I'm going to do a review of um, the, the guests that we've had on. So if you've not been through them, um, you can listen to this and then maybe go and, uh, as I'm talking about the various uh, threads that was in each one, you can go back and see which one you might think would be most useful for you to listen to. And given it's, we're actually doing this on Christmas Eve, it's the end of 2022, whilst I'm uh, looking back on the podcast season, I'm also going to have a little look back on the year. Uh, it's been a pretty tough year and I don't mind talking about it and some of the things we've done and uh, some of the things we've had to do to progress, overcome hurdles and uh, ultimately end up where we've ended up at the end of 2022. So I'll do that a bit later on, but let's talk about the podcast now. So again, it was very varied, this one. In fact, this was probably the most varied season we've ever done. It started with Roger Martin Fagg. Now, I've met Roger a few times. He's a behavioural economist. Um, people think because I'm an accountant, I should know a lot about the economy, and that's not true at all. I'm not an economist, but listening to Roger, and I've had him in three or four occasions now, he puts things in a layman's terms. He talks about mortgage rates. He talks about recessions and what they mean. He talks about exchange rates, but he puts it house prices. He talks about it in very layman's terms. Um, so he gives me a good understanding from a, a behavioral economist perspective. And he talked about what he expects. Now we, we are going to go into a recession 2023. There's no doubt about it. We will have two periods, two quarters where the GDP um, and the economy shrinks and uh, it will be big news. Uh, you'll see interest rates go up after this. We think they're going to go up again in between Christmas and New Year. But in reality, if you listen to what Roger says, he doesn't think they're going to go up much beyond the 4%. And for me, who's 44, I lived with 4% base rate interest for the majority of my life before uh, the huge recession that happened in 2008-2009. So in his eyes, we're just going back to a period of normality. Uh, it's been pretty abnormal to be living in a time where we've had 0.5 base rate, you know, base rate less than one. Um, so we're going to have to deal with that. <clears throat> um, but in, in many cases, as opposed to being scared by that, it's just actually a return to normality. He didn't see much dip in the house prices. There might be a small dip, um, but he didn't see anything that was going to be dramatic that wouldn't then bounce back. So he wasn't particularly worried about that. He wasn't worried about the interest rates and he wasn't too worried about uh, house prices. And he wasn't worried that we would have a huge recession um, similar to the 2008-2009, which of course was caused by banks. Uh, this recession has not been caused by the banks and the banks are still full of cash. We're seeing it around now, the private equity houses and funding, lending. You know, our funding, our banking team is having record months every month. So there's still money out there. This is not, uh, it doesn't appear to be what happened in 2008, 2009, where the banks stopped lending. There's no doubt though, it is going to be a tough year for some. It's going to be a tough year for the businesses that are struggling. Energy costs are going to keep going up and that's going to be a struggle. And um, there's no doubt about it. The poorest in our society are going to struggle. Uh, those are the ones that are going to be hit hardest by this. Um, so that was Roger. He's an interesting guy, very interesting. I could speak to him all day. So if you've not listened to that podcast and you're worried about where next year might look from a financial perspective, have a look at the first one. The second one was totally different. Roger's, he won't mind me saying, long in the tooth. He's very experienced, ex-Bank of England, 
And the two lads, Danny and Kieran, that was on my second podcast, were from a fashion brand called Monterex, which I'd be, uh, we'd be hard pushed to find one that's more successful at this moment in time in terms of taking market share and growth. They set it up four years ago. They're now <coughs> deep into eight-figure revenues. Uh, very, very level-headed, very calm lads. It was great to hear their story of uh, how they ended up starting off with some T-shirts and then ultimately ending up with what is now a prominent um, sportswear brand based out of Liverpool, but now going national. One of the things they, they, they did talk about was just doing it and not looking back. And um, it was just a refreshing. Everything they do is refreshing. The way they approach business is refreshing. They don't get scared by it. They're having great success. And, and by no means is it going to, the, to their head. When you listen to that podcast, you'll see how very level-headed and down-to-earth those guys are. They've never done a podcast before. They've been asked to do plenty since and they've not done them. So there won't be many opportunities to learn about their journey of how to set up and grow a very, very fast, successful sportswear brand. Next up was Robbie Hughes. He's a guy who I've admired really for a while for a number of reasons. I went to look at his um, dentistry, uh, his practice a while back. And if you've ever been into a Dakota hotel or a Malmaison hotel, it's like walking into that and getting your teeth done. He's done it for lots of the, all the Love Islanders tend to come off the show and go to him. Most of the, uh, Jurgen Klopp, Firmino, he's famous for doing for. You can go through his Instagram, uh, Dental Excellence, and you will see all the celebrity uh, smiles that he's done. Uh, but he's done it in a way, he's changed an industry. I asked him about how he does his social media because he's different to me. I'm a bit unpolished, if you like. I try and keep it raw and gritty. All his imagery is very sort of luxurious, high-end. Um, and that takes a lot of guts in order to come from where Robbie's come and then start portraying himself uh, or putting him out, himself out there in that way, both in his industry and on Instagram. And he talked about the haters that are going to hate no matter what and what he did and does to overcome that. But one thing he is, he's a thriving innovator and disruptor in that industry. Uh, he's also moving the game when it... Or, moving the goalposts and changing the game when it comes to technology within dentistry. So I thought, again, that was a, a podcast that I really enjoyed from a business perspective. Kirk Miller was next. Kirk's a lifestyle coach. He believes in creating lasting change. And I met him in Marbella, actually, in the summer. Uh, I went for a coffee with him and then we went for dinner. And uh, a lot of the things that I believe in, Kirk believes in. I was recently in, uh, we took uh, the Be The Standard Club that we have. We went to Iceland and um, the next day on the way back on the flight, I was talking to a, one, of the, one of the members and they said they were going to go and get beasted that morning after in the gym. And um, the amount of times I hear of people who, <clears throat> who are not in the best shape put themselves through these beasting sessions. And the reality of it is I don't have any beasting sessions. I walk around at probably 15% body fat. If I needed to get down to a 20 year, my 20 year, 25 year old physique, I could do it in three or four weeks. I could do it in three and four weeks. And that's just a fact because I'm controlled on a day by day basis. If I let myself slip and I go and have some beers, which I'm gonna do over Christmas, I'll overcompensate that with exercise, but not beasting. I'll make sure I get 15,000 steps in a day instead of 10,000. I, I felt a bit chubbier yesterday when I woke up, so I walked into work and walked back. 
that got me 25,000 steps in and probably burnt me 15,000 calories in a fat deficit because I did the walk fasted. So I do little things like that. And I was fascinated with bringing Kirk on because that's his philosophy. It's about creating lasting change rather than these fad diets, fad exercise regimes, beastings in the gym that actually put you off going to the gym. And he talks about everyday habits, everyday habits that reflect the ident identity of who you are. And uh, so for anybody who's looking to self-improve their mental, physical, um, mental or physical being, I thought that was a great podcast to listen to. And it's very much from the way that I live my life. It's not about, I go to the gym and I pot around the gym. I'm not one of those that comes out dripping in sweat. If that's what I had to face before I went to every gym session, I wouldn't do it. But I go every single day because I put myself through as much as I'm prepared to do without it being a toil to get there and give myself the chance perhaps not to go. Claire Sophia was next. And Claire's a female entrepreneur that I admire. Um, she's very candid. She says it as it is. One of the people who was um, listening <clears throat> to the podcast that was done, one of the girls straight away said that was inspirational and I thought it was. What she actually talked about, and there was two areas of that. Number one, she did say on the podcast, and I remember her coming in four years ago uh, with four recruitment, <clears throat> which was probably 10 years old then, and she came in with a brother who she owns it with, and um, everything was in their minds was, was gone. It was destroyed. There was a member of staff that was controlling the organisation. They was going out with another member of staff. He was friends from another member of staff. And I remember sitting, by the time they told me the first problem, they'd got through 10 problems, which effectively led to it was, get, it, it was game over. That was the mindset. That wasn't the reality. The reality was it wasn't game over. And just because the first step was likely to happen, removal of a member of staff, didn't then mean that everything else was going to fall to pieces in the way that the domino effect they thought would. And I might talk a little about, a bit more about that when I talk about Sajulo's journey and reculturing that we've done this year. Um, <clears throat> so Claire talked about that. In the end, that person left. The other dominoes that she felt would have fell didn't fall. She was able to realign, reculture, and go again before recruitment. And it's now enjoying record years and month after month um, in a thriving industry, which is recruitment. She's thriving. They're having record uh, performing months. So that's brilliant from a business perspective. But in the middle of that, she also decided, <clears throat> and it's very personal, and I, I don't know many people that have done this, if any or, at all, she decided getting into her mid-30s that she didn't, that she wanted kids, but she didn't want to end up with a guy, the wrong guy, for the reason of wanting kids. So she decided to go through that journey whilst leading a business on her own. Forget the leading the business side for a minute. That's a journey in itself on her own. And um, she talks very openly about how difficult that was and that is. And actually, that she's, she's thinking of doing it again at the age of, she'll kill me if I get this wrong, but I think she's 38 now. <clears throat> um, again, another gritty, candid podcast. And then the final one was Danny Dibravanda. Now, Danny asked me to come on because he listens to the podcast and when he told me his story, I couldn't not have him on. Um, there's not really any business in that story, but his journey's unbelievable. The resilience that he's got is incredible. More incredible than any other um, story that we've had on. A guy at the age of late in, you know, mid to late 30s that was given six months to live with stage four 
cancer who overcome that and then got told he had a secondary cancer he then overcome that and got told he had less than you know just a month to live he then overcome that and ended up with sepsis and got read his last rites and got told he had one night to live and um, <clears throat> fortunately that was three years ago he's since had his third cancer um, third bite of cancer since then and and he, yet he's still here and you know he's raising he's done um, team ddb which is raising raised over a hundred thousand pound for cancer charities he's still got a smile on his face you know he's still living life he has chemotherapy um <clears throat> every fortnight and you know the 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 reality of it is is there was there's been more than a couple of occasions where he's been told his life was going to end at such an early age and yet he's been able to keep that strength mental strength and physical strength to keep coming back and now the cancer's not getting any bigger is leading a relatively normal life now we're all going to be impacted by cancer because i think one in two people now get it right that means we're all going to be impacted by it and he talked about one of the things that struck me in that <clears throat> was when he said i have to be positive because i realized that other people around me was a mirror reflection of what I was. So if I was going to be down, and this is obviously Danny talking, then I could see everybody else's morale around me. And then you think that that person then is carrying not just the cancer, but everybody else's and morale around him. Incredible responsibility. And I thought it was a, an incredible podcast. So that was the season. I've enjoyed doing it as ever. It was a complete mishmash, completely different uh, podcasts in there. And as I say, I'm reflecting on it. <clears throat> it's come to the end of the year. I'm not very good at reflecting, but I do when it comes to Christmas. I, I, I we did a big toy appeal campaign. And this year we've done 15,000 presents, 1,200 kids, 300 Christmas dinners, between 75 and 100,000 pound of money raised. And that starts the process for me of reflecting. What are we doing in our communities? What's the culture of the team? What's the ethos? How are people mucking in? Throughout 2022, we have, we, every three years, we have a three-year plan. <clears throat> 2019, we had a three-year plan to double in size. And of course, we didn't realise COVID was going to be in the middle of that. But we started that three-year plan at 6.5 million. We end that three-year plan at 13.5 million. <clears throat> Through that time, of course, I've just said we've had COVID. And we've also had this work from home and we're a cultural business. We're a business that actually is about building relationships. It's about being a team. It's about actually caring for one another in work, which ultimately leads to what we actually do, which is, is we provide services to clients and that needs relationships and we need to care. If it's not going to happen within, it's not going to go external. So it's important and work from home um, was a stumbling block to that because in the industry, and I've talked about this time and time again, lots of larger organizations that compete with us went to a work from home policy, which means we were <clears throat> in our industry um, completely at the other end of the scale. We was getting everybody back in. We provide all environments for people to thrive in, for people to meet and people to talk in. So, <clears throat> so we lost a lot of staff. Our staff turnover went up. What I also have learned this year, my biggest lesson of the year, I've learned that is when you start a three-year plan with a team of people, it doesn't mean you're going to end your three-year plan with that team of people. Towards getting to this year, being the final year, I could tell that some people were out of the comfort zone. 
I could tell that some people were out of the depth. I could tell that some people had got stale and didn't want to go to the next stage. And I had a choice. And I've since spoke to a lot of leaders, um, you know, I've spoke to a lot of clients and a lot of leaders about the, the year, and, it, and it's been similar for them all, which is why I'm kind of doing this reflection, really. <clears throat> I had a choice, and at one point, the easier choice was to just let the organisation drift into what it was becoming. But it wasn't becoming the organisation I'd set up. It was becoming an organisation that I felt already existed, and I set this organisation up to be different to what existed in our marketplace. I started to do some things, <clears throat> push some people, prod some people, go back to the tempo that we used to have, and it didn't get, the, the reaction to that wasn't what I wanted. I kept doing it, and I kept coming up against stumbling blocks. I kept coming up against hurdles. And in the main, it was from people. <clears throat> I had a choice, because those people were starting to see I was putting them under pressure. Certain people in the organisation, they started to influence other people within the organisation. And it started to become a firm, a business, that I was looking around thinking, this is not the business that I want to be a part of. This is not the business I want to be an owner of. It's not the business that I set up. What am I going to do? I have a choice. I either accept it and I lower the standard or I keep grinding away and I become the standard. I make sure that I don't let that bar drop and I decided to do the latter. I know a few clients who've done exactly the same and the problem is it's painful. It's a painful decision to make. But I made that decision and off we went. <clears throat> we had conversations with people and some people left and of course a lot of people didn't leave in the right way. And that's fine. They've got their own opinion and that's, that's up to them. But we have to do what's right for the organisation. What was right for this organisation is to have 170 people who are all on the same team. 170 people all on the same, the same ethos, wanting the same things. People's lives change. So people who was in the organisation where it worked for four years ago, it no longer did. We had difficult conversations, which is what most people avoid. We had them. And um, in the summer, people started to leave. Staff turnover went through the roof and the remaining people start to look around and think, what's going on in this organisation? We've got a leaving due every week and there's more than one person at it. The truth of it is, is as a leader, you've got to believe in your vision, you've got to believe in the process <clears throat> and you're going to have self-doubts. And I had self-doubts, for temporary self-doubts and then I got my head back in gear and I started to go with a vision of what I wanted to create because if it didn't work, at least it was the vision that I wanted to create. And what's slow, and we, what, the other thing we did is we had James Timpson and he talked about the happiness score. I had a weekly pulse score. So while I was creating this change and moving to what I felt was a national organisation structure and bringing in new people, changing some roles of existing people, I wanted to register how this was working. So we started a weekly pulse happiness score which for me is the best thing we ever did because the scores at the start were pretty low. <clears throat> I can see what everybody puts in every week, but it gave me the opportunity for them to communicate with me, for me to communicate back. I was able to speak to some people and some people was giving me honest truth about what was right and what was wrong within the organisation. Those that had a genuine desire to fix it, we went on journeys with to fix their score and we fixed many of them. There were some people who didn't want to be fixed. They didn't want the organisation to be fixed. They wanted to be a one out of 10 and they wanted to tell everybody else that there was a one out of 10. And those people no longer sit within the organisation. And as a result of all that, 
every single week since probably September or certainly October, that happiness score has gone up every single week. And it's now at a peak of about 7.5, which is getting close to being world-class. And you're not going to get much higher than probably 7.6, 7.7. Starting position was 6.5. <clears throat> so that's one of the things, the biggest take I'll take from the year is you don't have to end the journey with who you started it with. But you have to be honest with yourself and take difficult conversations, which is going to lead to short-term pain. That short-term pain, though, is going to learn to medium and long-term gain for everybody else who's on the bus. Otherwise, it's not fair to them. And I'm just another one of them that's on the bus. So we introduced a happiness score, <clears throat> and that's climbing. The output from a happy team is more than it's ever been, right? So the cash is a representation of that. And the cash figures for the last three months dwarf the cash figures of previous. The community project that we've just done that I mentioned before is by far the biggest. It had by far the most impact than we've ever had. The inbound goodwill that we've generated from the people we've helped has been more than ever. And we finished with a trip to Benidorm, which 66, 67% of the people came on. And a couple of years earlier, that was down to probably just 40, 50%. COVID was a problem with that, of course. So from what was the first half of the year, that was quite tricky. It's turned into an end to the year of getting results together in terms of highest cash ever, giving back to the communities in terms of highest, most progressive, helpful toy appeal ever, and the highest staff happiness, for, which means happiness score, which means we're having fun together. And there are three pillars. So we move into the next stage now, which is a three-year plan. So it's a three-year plan to double in size again. We should go from 13.5 million to 16.5 million to 20 million, then hopefully 26 million over the next three years. And um, hopefully you'll follow that journey with us. And on that note, I'd just like to wish everybody who's listened to the podcast, everybody who's listened to it, who's a member of the team, everybody who listens to the podcast, who's a client, I'd like to thank you all for your support for the year and wish you all the best. 2023. Have a great Christmas. See you on the other side.